Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast, powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inside Startup Investing Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino, and today we have a very special guest in Brooke Harley. Brooke is the founder and CEO of Class Rebel, which is a really interesting solution to help folks get educated on how to become angel investors and crypto investors as well. You know, at King's Crowd, one of the things we care most about is making sure that you have access to the tools you need to become an educated and smart angel investor. So really excited for this conversation. I think you'll find it really interesting and hopefully find some use in actually joining their courses as well after listening into the podcast. So with that, I will hand it over to Brooke. Brooke, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Absolutely. So Brooke, for those who don't know you, I'd love to just kind of start off with, you know, tell us a little bit about your background and how you decided to found Class Rebel. Yeah, so I'm originally trained as an M&A attorney, you know, back in the day. Um, I left my love affair with the law and I actually went back to do an MBA. And um, this was during the financial crisis. Lehman Brothers went down four days after I decided to leave my country law job. And, you know, I don't know where you guys, all of you listeners were during that time, but I was out of work, 100 grand in debt, and I could get a job, I'm telling you, barely. And um, one of the offers I was able to wrestle up was um, an offer from the chief financial officer of Lululemon. And the stock was at the bottom at the time. No one believed in yoga pants during the Great Recession. And um, one of the only, you know, one of the first things I did when I worked, you know, as a lawyer was to draft stock option plans. So I really knew them backwards and forwards. So my main goal coming in was um, to negotiate as much equity as I could in Lululemon. And that focus paid off. The stock rose and it gave me a windfall that started to let me get interested in the idea of early stage retail investing. Who were the early backers of Lululemon? Who were the early backers of, of Canada Goose? You know, all the consumer brands we know and love, how did those get started? And um, I started angel investing. I, I left Lululemon and raised a $30 million fund. It was backed by uh, industry executives, the government of Canada, which is where I was based at the time. And the story takes a dark turn because the partners had a big food fight. The whole thing came down after we committed the funds, made a few investments. And um, it actually was quite an abrupt ending to it all. And so to put something positive in place of that, um, I started teaching Fundraising 101 and Angels 101 because I can tell you as an investor, it takes you about five minutes to realize you know, who is more easily able to raise money and get a chance to execute their idea um, and also who's funding them. And I really think we need, you know, more diversity in who's able, who's getting a shot at building things and who's funding that. And I don't think that education necessarily solves the bias, but I do think it can imbue people with the confidence to push against some of the bias that's going on. 
And so that's where we started. And Classable was really the idea of a community effort and nothing more, but it led to much bigger ideas about what modern education could be like, you know, and how it could be priced, um, you know, using the internet. So to scale. So that's really what was, what's behind it. Couldn't agree with you more on, on all of the fronts that you're talking about here. Um, you know, you talk a little bit about this idea of making angel investing and frankly, venture investing more equitable, more inclusive. And clearly, you know, VCs have said they've been working on it for a decade and yet somehow the numbers haven't changed. Um, and yet we look at kind of this new equity crowdfunding role and overnight we have 34% of funding going to female founders. Um, and it makes you think, well, maybe if you change the LP base, right? You let it, the LP base look more like all of us rather than just kind of these old white males that things can actually change. That's so fascinating. I had no idea 34% of the dollars were going to female founders on equity. I had no clue about that. That's a wild discrepancy. Yep, in 2021. And and by the way, it's it's held that way for several years. It's been between 25 and 40%. Here's an interesting question, not to take this conversation off off piece here, but you know, is is that also because there's more female founders on equity crowdfunding platforms because they're just not being acknowledged in the traditional fundraising process? Cause that Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I also think that when you create an open marketplace where the deals can be from anywhere, right? You don't have to be in San Francisco. You don't have to be an Ivy Leaguer when they can come from anywhere. And investors can be anyone. And investors can be anyone. It completely changes the model. Completely. There are more female founders that are trying to raise this way because it is so hard in the traditional world. But there's also more people who just want to back them because they're great businesses. They're great founders. And it makes all the sense in the world. Like if you remove all of the traditional biases and all of the things that prevent females from even getting an intro to a VC, suddenly they're getting funded because they know how to run good businesses. Um, it's a no brainer yeah. to me, which is why I love what you're doing because you're creating a new generation of retail investors that can help solve this problem even more dramatically. Yes. And I think, you know, we're teaching to founders, we're teaching to angel investors and the gap is not just a gender-based gap. It's a racially-based gap as well. Um, so, you know, I just think with a bit of education, we can imbue some confidence to navigate what is actually an obscure financing approach when you really get into the mechanics of it. Not a lot of people understand how the mechanics work. And if you can navigate that conversation with confidence with investors, then I think you're just more likely to raise money on better terms, build something that matters. And I think with angel investing too, if you have a bit of confidence of how this works, you can recognize something that's market off market. You're more willing to, you know, pull the trigger on an investment. We have someone who came to class in 2018 and she made an 80X on her first investment, but the education gave her the confidence to pull the trigger, you know? And I'm like, why didn't you tell me about this investment? But anyway, that's another thing. So we know that it's, we, it's giving confidence for people to angel invest for the first time and also to raise money for the first time. That's awesome. Um, tell us a little bit more about the course and how it works. Let's talk about the Angel 101 course that you have. Yeah. So how it's structured is, you know, first night of any class level course is foundations. What do we know about some foundational concepts, you know, deal sequencing, things like this? Um, you know, what's the difference between debt versus equity? Um, and then we move into um, 
you know, alternative sources of VC capital. Some of the best success stories that I've ever heard of and I'm most inspired by uh, were under the nose of VCs the whole time. We couldn't raise a dollar, right? So we talk about all the alternative ways that you can pursue consistent, like concurrently with VC, or just you can forego the VC angel route and, and use all this non-dilutive um, avenues for capital. So we talk about, you know, let's make sure we're talking about all the different ways to raise capital, not just the dilutive VC angel kind, especially right now during the cash crunch. And then we get into, you know, what do investors look for from an angel's perspective? You know, the pitch deck, the five-year forecast, what should be in the data room, some of the due diligence factors. And then nights three and four are really getting into the deal mechanics, right? What should angels be looking for in the main deal terms of a note, a safe, and a priced round? You actually need to know all three deal structures right away to really navigate the whole ecosystem. So those are the nights I think, you know, we're a pay once a 10 forever model. So people really love to come back and refresh, especially on, you know, deal mechanics, because even as a lawyer, uh, I never encountered venture finance and that's a whole different beast. So we dig deep into that with pro forma cap tables and things like that. Literally now anyone can become an angel investor in kind of the world that we live in today. And yet, you know, there's tens of millions, frankly, hundreds of millions that, that still haven't made their first investment. So I'm I'm curious to hear from you. What have been some of your ways of attracting people to come and utilize your courses and learn up on how to become an angel investor? That's so interesting. Um, we don't really spend anything on marketing. So people come to us. And when I say people, I mean direct to consumer, just the public who we were built for. But we also have, you know, private clientele that we teach angel investing at the highest levels. I won't mention that tech clients here. Um, we have governments uh, who have approached us who want to develop more angel investing prowess in their state or province. Um, so they're hiring us privately to teach. So it's really been, you know, you put something out there in the world and things find you. We actually have celebrity clientele now as well. This is all private. What we charge privately is much more than what we charge publicly, but all the private contracts go to fund the public effort. Um, and so people really find out about us uh, from word of mouth. That's great. I love it. And and you're so right. It, it is kind of amazing to me too, how many people you know are in the professional investing world and family offices and wealth advisory groups that would love to do this stuff as well, especially for their clientele. But they also don't know. It's been such a small world to date. Now to see it expanding, you know, so dramatically and to be able to have services like yours. What are some of the the key things that you hear from your clients? Um, that are kind of those aha moments or things where they go, whoa, I, you know, I didn't know that at all going into this whole thing. I think a lot of it, right? A lot of it's all brand new. I think, you know, starting off with why would you even be involved in angel investing when the risk profile of this is so high? Like, why would you even do this, right? One of them sure is for the, the returns that could happen, but there's other reasons, right? To align your money with the future that you want to see created um, with all the serendipitous opportunities that come to you once you're an angel investor. Every angel investor, I think, has experienced the, you know, what you go after versus what just lands in your lap. I think you learn a lot. You stay culturally up-to-date, um, technologically up-to-date. So there's, you know, I think people are surprised at all the reasons. I think, you know, also it, it can open up other asset classes if you have a win. So there's so many reasons to be involved, even though it's a risky asset class. I think that's really a bigger, broader picture that people appreciate understanding. And then really understanding that there's actually a pretty clear pattern of 
how you approach angel investing. And once you know the risk profile, you know that a lot of this fails and it fails quickly and it's very discouraging and that your average hold period is nine years. You know, as soon as I think you set the risk tone and, and how long the hold period is going to be, it actually is successful. So once you prepare people for what they're getting into from a risk and hold perspective, then it's right, really like the nitty gritty mechanics of doing a deal. And so I think all of it is really a steep learning curve. It, it was for me. I mean, what we teach in that course took me 10 years to piece together from direct experience, some good, some bad, you know, uh, you know, trips to the dark is where we learn the most. Truly. So, yeah, it's really funny. You say that uh, one of our angel investors was telling me that he was in the red on his angel investing portfolio for 17 years, um, struggling along, had a bunch yeah. of failures, all this stuff. And then this one company, he's like, and I didn't even have any involvement with it. It was just someone told me I should do it. And I did it. He's like, it returned everything back. And I was into the black, you know, in a like really dramatic way. But it took 17 years of losing until he actually had his massive win. This needs to be discussed, right? Because the press would have us all believe that, you know, things are returned to us. If, if we're going to win at this game at all, it's going to be within 18 months or two years. But the reality and the data is, it you know, things don't pay off until, you know, an average of nine, 10 years. Um, any particular, you know, investment, if they are going to pay off, the ones that fail, fail fast. And that's the most discouraging part of that day curve to get past. And I have the same thoughts every day. It's like I've been in doing this and around this for 10, 11 years. Every day I'm like, this is a dramatic asset class. And I don't know if I should stay in it, you know. But so I'm encouraged, I'm encouraged even, you know, to hear, you know, that it's not the only, and this is another thing we talk about in angel investing class, like you do not, you don't want to only be and have all your, you don't want to back up the best with everything you have on angel investing. Don't do it. Same as crypto. If you look at, you know, the risk profile of all of these assets, they're amongst the riskiest assets you could be involved in. So you want to, you know, go after real estate and more um, stable things first, but. I think it's very interesting, but this time frame is an important thing to talk about. And so you've helped me understand that it took him 17 years. I'm like, okay, well, I'll be hanging in there as well. That's really cool that you've been an angel investor yourself for a decade. And, and this is kind of where you've learned the ropes and, and probably have put a lot of the content together for your classes. Um, can you talk about you know some of your favorite investments or some of the ones that you're most excited about? I, I always think it's fun to hear from other people what their portfolios look like. Yeah, Cotopaxi was, well, I'll talk about a win and then I'll talk about um, something we missed, which is all, all, always painful. So in the inside the fund, um, one of the investments I insisted on doing that I really wanted was Cotopaxi. It's a younger version of Patagonia. Um, I think they're speaking to a younger market. Um, they have a mission around solving poverty and, and how they work their business model. And so we found them pretty early. And in fact, they came to us and they really had a lot of criteria. We're very proud to be associated with them. This is Davis Smith at Cotopaxi. And then a few years later, unfortunately, the, the fund had been suspended because of the fight. And then Bain came in, uh, Bain Double Impact Fund came in to sell. And that return, that multiple was about six in just a couple of years. So not only was it a great return, um, but it was I'm, I've always been proud to be associated with and a founder I've been really proud to be associated with. So, you know, that was a great win. Live Kindly, uh, I consulted for equity instead of cash, and I was 
perfect, you know, I'm proud of what they did. They had an exit within 18 months, according to the consumer thesis that I'd seen play out, you know, numerous times. The hardest one that like, and I don't know if you've experienced this, the hardest thing I'll never get over is that I saw Bombas Soft in 2016. And and to this day, not a single in America would touch Bombas Soft, not one, right? And they raised, you know, from angels that believed in them. And then, you know, they got a a PE buyout pretty quick. And then my guess is, you know, when the markets tame themselves, they'll be going public. And I, I knew it, I saw it, I could not convince my partners on it. And I, it, it'll be painful forever. So you really remember when you couldn't get the deal done, or like you, you question your instincts, you know, or you went off your investment criteria and watched maybe what other investors were doing, and you're swayed by that. That's been the worst mistake is being swayed away from my whole thesis and investment criteria and being swayed by what other investors are or are not doing, because there's a lot of groupthink, right? So it's just, it's a never ending, interesting area. And the cool thing I think about angel investing is it keeps you really smart. It keeps you interested and up to date in the world. And what, what the democratization of angel investing is doing is it's letting everybody be involved. And the benefits of being involved aren't just money. They keep you really sharp on all the, all the changing dynamics and technology and the pace of change in the world. So sometimes it is a dramatic asset class. I don't know if you agree with that, but it's not boring, you know, and you learn a lot. So I've never heard someone say that, but I actually love the wording. It's a dramatic asset class. It's the highest of highs, the lowest of lows, not a lot in the middle. I mean, there, it happens. You do have your, you know, your two X your three X and it's like, okay, went well, everything's fine, but you're absolutely right. It's definitely a dramatic asset class. The only thing that takes away a little bit of drama that is kind of nice, and I actually think this will change over time too, uh, is the fact that there really isn't a secondary market that's very effective yet, at least. And thus, you're not waking up and finding out that you know, you're know you down 80% in the past week, uh, like all of your tech stocks in your Robinhood account or wherever it may be. So at least you're like, well, it's probably down, but I don't know how much it's down. And you, you don't have to think about that. That's true. Okay, so you don't have that daily grind of, of valuation. but I. But what I want to pick up on something you mentioned, which is that to me, the problem to solve, right, is the liquidity piece, right? Because, and we talk about this in angel investing, you know, you got to be prepared to hold for a long time. And, um, you know, you may want to get out because you don't believe in management anymore and, you know, where the company is going, but you also might want to get out because the valuation has climbed so much that you want to take a little off the table and start investing it in some else or, or something you're starting, right? And you can't, there's no liquidity. Um, and so that makes it really tough because you can end up having a lot of your personal wealth accrue to one holding and not be able to do anything about it nine, 10 years later, just waiting, right? For So if in private investing, liquidity could be more thoroughly solved, it would unlock so much value. I think it would be one of the greatest things we could solve in startup land is more liquidity for any private startup and Net Capital are all working on creating those solutions and Rialto markets as well. So four online private markets are all trying to develop secondary market solutions. And I can tell you in a test run on a couple of those platforms, we've seen really, really good results, um, but it's still just so incredibly early. I have a feeling in the next five to eight years, it could become a relatively mainstream thing. If you were conducting raises via these online private marketplaces, where secondary liquidity will become very real and very accessible to many people, which is so cool. The big questions I have about it are, you know, what is the incentive for the company to ever disclose a data room and information on how it's going, how it's going. If you want to unload as an investor, 
a significant chunk, like a million or more, then any buyer, any sophisticated buyer with that kind of money is going to want to see, you know, recent performance of the company and information in the data room. And, you know, I'm not so sure a private company is so motivated, right, to provide that level of due diligence. So that to me has always been the issue as well. You know, companies have a say in who's holding their stock, right? Private companies. They have to approve those sales or they have the power to approve right now those sales or not. So those practical things, I've always wondered how they're going to be overcome because no doubt I I might hold some brands that people would want to buy, but if they can't diligence the company because the company isn't obliged to provide any info, you're going to have a hard time selling like a meaningful amount. Sure. Well, the funny thing is, so a lot of those problems are being solved via regulation, crowdfunding, regulation A+, where there are requirements of reporting. Um, So a lot of that is being solved and the marketplaces are solving it by creating basically like those stock pools that are raised on their platforms, then it's basically one line item on the the company's cap table, but the underlying can change from whoever. Um, So they're solving a lot of those complexities. The funny thing to your point about the pro forma and providing info. So the reg CFA plus companies that do primary raises and then have secondary sales, that's all built in. A lot of it is solved. Where it's interesting is in the late stage secondary markets like Forge, Equity Zen, the funny thing is there are huge institutions buying up five, $10 million lots and they're not getting any information. And it's unbelievable to me the amount of money they will move into those deals. And I don't know, height, I, I like the demand, desire to have those in their portfolio, you know, like Airbnb, SpaceX, like those types of companies, obviously Airbnb before it IPO'd. There's been an immense amount of movement on platforms like Forge into late stage secondaries without very good data. So it's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a never ending conversation. It's very fascinating. And I welcome, I would welcome more liquidity in the private, in the private markets, because it really would free up a lot of capital for the economy, right? For that money to go elsewhere, to fund more startups. Like you're having hundreds of like billions of dollars of of value tied up because there's no liquidity in the private markets. And so there was a way to free that up. It was, it'd be quite an innovation for investors personally, but I think the whole economy I completely agree. And, and going so, back to your Bomba story, I can personally say, I believe they started out at Babson, if I'm not incorrect. Um, and one of uh, our good family friends knew the founders very early on. And so every Christmas, I get many, many Bomba socks. Uh, so so definitely a fan and definitely have seen that they do quite well. Um, so that's a it's a great story. And, and you're absolutely right. There was a few that wanted to touch it, but they're doing incredibly well. Last question for you here. For those who want to get involved, start learning how to become a better angel investor, learn more about the crypto asset class and how to become a smarter investor there. How do they get started and work with a service like yourself? It's so easy. Honestly, you go to our website, classrebel.com and check out what free mini classes are running. If you don't see any of those, the whole class is $99. Uh, It's eight hours live instruction. It's super interactive. You can just watch on demand if you want as well. And then also we're pay once, attend forever. I mean, so our goal is really to undercharge and overdeliver. So people that come to class get so much information out of it that they often come back once or twice at the course. And we encourage that, right? Because you might learn investing for this time, whether it's angel investing or crypto, and then you might go dabble in it, uh, learn some things in on the ground, and then come back and do it again, right? You know, what you learned about angel investing, what I learned, this is this is a never-ending process. And, you know, I've been in at least 10 years and I'm learning more every day. It's really fascinating. So 
So classrep.com, sign up, $99. Uh, it's worth your time. It's worth your money. Um, and we'll get you 10 years ahead on what you know inside of a week. Brooke, thank you so much for your time today. I think it's wonderful. As you heard, classrebel.com. I think it's a wonderful service and really needed. Uh, and if you're looking to become a smarter angel investor, you should definitely check it out. Uh, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you everyone for listening. And we look forward to hearing you on the, or having you listen in on the next podcast. Take care, everyone. Bye now. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at King's Crowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.